The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hello. Welcome. Today, we're talking about the government helping to fund the cleanup of the ocean and better ocean management. Uh, Much of it is done by uh, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, which we all refer to as NOAA. And um, this NOAA doesn't have an arc, but this NOAA is uh, doing a lot to clean up the ocean. Um, So if you tune in the middle of the show, uh, if you hear someone tuning in, you can clue them in that we're not talking about some bearded guy, that we're (laughs) talking about uh, national ocean um, programs uh, that are funded by the government. And, um, and what a great difference they make. And with me today are, um, we're doing a, a live broadcast here from the, the, the kitchen table of uh, the office of the Ocean River Institute, and around the table is Owen Worth, and Owen is a recent graduate of uh, University of Massachusetts. Hello. Hi, Owen. Hello. And Max Wagner is a uh, student at Northeastern University. Hi, Max. Hello. Good to be here. Well, and, um, yeah, so here we are, you know, and, and what we've been doing is uh, we got word that the president, which all presidents should do, is calling, for every, is calling for agencies to reduce their spending. And so the call has gone out to uh, NOAA to, to cut, to slash a billion dollars out of their uh, budget. And uh, this, is to re- this will reduce the ocean budget. Uh, by 26%. Uh, the weather budget, not so much, but, but we're concerned about, you know, we love oceans, you know, so this is not good. And what the president does is he makes recommendations to Congress, and the recommendations go to the Committee on Appropriations, and it is the members of that committee that decide, um, that put forward to Congress what the budget should be for all the different agencies. And uh, so... We um, are writing to the members of the committee on appropriations uh, as constituents, as voters, as members of their districts, um, and explaining why a clean ocean is important to us and why, um, you know, we're, we're not just reciting numbers about what it does for the economics. They got all those numbers from the interest groups and stuff. But what, what we have to bring home to people is how much, uh, the oceans mean to them, and how that our representatives are there to, they, they want to serve their constituents, and they rarely hear from their constituents. 
So when I go to Washington, I bring comments from constituents, and I always get my meetings with the legislators uh, because they're happy to talk about oceans and not have to talk about um, war and taxes and health care and stuff. Uh, so uh, we're, we're gathering comments from individuals. Uh, you know, it, it's more, you're more apt to be motivated to help fund ocean research if you have a constituent saying, by golly, I hate it when my kids step on that slimy algal blooming stuff that's all over the beach. You know, can you do something about that? And legislators want to serve their constituents like that. So that's the kind of language we're trying to encourage. Um, so the, um, the budget cuts that are being called for uh, include the Climate Program Office at, at NOAA, and this his office helps communities, businesses, and citizens prepare for drought and water shortages. It manages the risks of our coasts and coastal communities uh, and to reduce the vulnerability of weather-related disasters that do claim lives and, and cost us a lot of money. So that's a program that should be fully funded. Uh, the Office of Weather and Air Quality improves forecasts related to hurricanes floods, destructive fire events, and helps vulnerable adults and children avoid harmful air pollution. So it's another program that is in the greater good for the government to be fully funding and not slashing from. Uh, NOAA has a university-based Sea Grant programs, uh, and that's the, the whole Sea Grant programs all across the country um, have been singled out for elimination completely, just, oh, let's save money there. And it's really stupid because these are federal-private partnerships that use science and outreach and education to positively impact coastal communities. Uh, the Sea Grant program itself creates and retains over 20,000 jobs in nearly 3,000 businesses annually. And they're all, each Sea Grant program is done in conjunction with a university, so they don't have to raise, you know, so... We're getting twice the bang for every federal dollar because it's being matched or tripled by the university and these private partnerships that go along with universities' work and stuff. Another program are the Ocean Acidification Program. It is the Ocean Acidification Program, and that tracks the changes in ocean chemistry. It provides early warnings and investment information to help fishermen and aquaculture owners avoid or prepare for risks. Uh, for example, the program funded the development of early warning systems to help oyster growers from losing their oyster stocks, you know, seeing their oyster shells and the little nopoli of young oysters fizzle in increasingly acidic water. Uh, so they, these guys are sensitive to acidity, and I love fried clams. And so, um, you know, if we're going to have fried clams, we're, we're going to have clams, uh, we need to have we can't let the water get too acidic or those calcareous shells will just fizzle away and um, uh, that'll be the end. No more fried clams. That'd be a bummer. What, what's, do you have a favorite seafood? Oh, I love a good salmon. A good salmon. Mm -hmm. How do you like your salmon? Um, I, I'll take salmon anyway, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> now, how about you, Owen? I like uh, oysters and calamari. Yeah. <laughs> And oysters are so good because they filter the water, so they help to clean the waters. And, and uh, so uh, that's responsibility is to um, operate the National Marine Fisheries Service, 
which manages our national fisheries. And uh, with 232 commercially valuable fish stocks, they're managing all but 28 are being sustainably fished. And the 28 uh, need more work. And so we need more funding, not less of um, NOAA, because when they... Uh, the cod is in great trouble here, and codfish uh, in um, there are two stocks of codfish, two of the 28 are cod, and one is the cod in the Gulf of Maine, and the other is the cod on south of Cape Cod and on George's Banks. So that, those are two of the 28. And when they had money to study haddock, they, um, they, they saw the net approaching the haddock, and the haddock was swimming with the cod and flounder, and it swam to the side, uh, and the cod and flounder swam to the bottom to avoid the net. And so with this knowledge, the fishermen and NOAA, the National Marine Fisheries people, the Fisheries Council members, were able to, well, the fishermen adjusted their net size, or the regulations adjusted net size, and the fishermen adjusted their practice. And so now they are sustainably fishing haddock with less bycatch incidental take of cod and flounder just because they had federal money to look under the water and see what happens. So there is a way between the, you know, there's a middle ground that we all want to be in between full abstinence and rapacious behavior when it comes to fisheries. And that is we want to be able to eat fish guilt-free knowing that uh, they're all being sustainably fished. So we it's just a matter of time, research, and money before America's 100% sustainable fishery. And the last area I want to talk mention that's being cut uh, by being called for to be have their budget cut is the Office of Ocean Exploration and Research. And this is the place that explores our relatively unknown ocean. You know, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about our oceans. And um, so, Max, can you tell us a bit about, you've been looking into this, some of the ocean exploration in fact, in fact, one in particular that went to the deepest ocean place in the world. Trivia question, guys. <laughs> you know where that is? <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, that's referring to the trip to the Marianas. Um, so the Office of Ocean Exploration and Research um, has a number of different projects and trips they go on, um, mostly using the ship that they actually have, um, which is called the Oceanus Explorer. Um, they call it America's Ship for Ocean Exploration. Um, so they take this ship all over the Pacific, um, really just discovering places um, that have been relatively unexplored. Um, so one of these trips that's uh, from 2016 um, was actually using their uh, ship as well as the technology they have called um, ROV, which is also called their Deep Discoverer, or more known as the B2. Well, ROV means a remote-operated vehicle. Yep. So this is a, a like a like a small car, I guess. Yep. There's no people in it. But yeah, so this thing is 9,000 pounds. It's enormous, um, 3,000 feet of electrical wiring, 20 lights, nine cameras. Um, so it's an amazing piece of technology um, that they actually deployed in the Marianas um, to just go deeper into that trench, um, which is the world's largest trench. Um, so they're really just trying to discover the ecosystems, um, learn about the biodiversity that's there, um, because, again, no one's really been there. Uh, it's a relatively an unexplored area. Um, and in addition, um, what they've actually been able to do with this is then take the data that they're finding and relay it back to ashore um, using these telepresence satellite communications. Um, so they're bringing videos to classrooms, um, to living rooms all across the U.S., um, showing people what exactly they're doing and what they're discovering in the deep oceans 
of the Marianas. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, a kid can sit in his classroom, and they've got computer screens in the classrooms now, and he can, he can get a live feed of these researchers sitting around in this dark room because even though they're out in the ocean, they've got to have a darkened you know, screens and stuff, and, and see what, this, what the researchers are seeing and, and maybe see the researcher working the joystick that lowers and moves around and hear them gasp and... Um, yeah, that's really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and so they're finding new species, I'd imagine. Yeah, so they're taking the summer V, um, going down around between 250 and 6,000 meters. Um, so just going all over the Marianas um, in different areas as well as a 70-day trip. Um, so they're really trying to discover each area um, and determine what the different biodiversity is. Um, you know, they're seeing new bottom fish habitats, um, new hydrothermal vent sites. Um, you have all these coral and sponge communities that have been never explored before, um, as well as subduction zones, trench areas. I'm really discovering a lot about the geology of the area. Um, that's information that's never been seen before. Yeah, and you were telling me about the unusual geology of the area. Yeah, so um, they're discovering all these reefs, um, really seeing a lot of marine life. Um, marine life is living in very, very extreme conditions um, that we don't really know much about. Um, so they're actually being able to study this. Um, has actual photos and video footage from this area um, that's never been seen before. And then again, they can bring that to the American people through these video systems that they're doing. And, and you were telling me that it's, the Marianas Trench is like a banana. Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of the different depths, it actually kind of looks like a banana if you look at more of a map view. Um, so it's pretty enormous. Um, the deepest trench there is actually 2,500 kilometers. Um, so it's very, very deep. Um, huge, huge different uh, biodiversity, different areas. Um, it's all very different and all unexplored. Yeah, so that's so exciting to get this thing yeah. down there. And it is at the collision of two continental plates. Yep. And so the, um, the western plate is subducting under, like, the Pacific Ocean plate. And, and so it's diving deep, and that's why it's such a deep trench there. Yeah. And, uh, and when you get that kind of action, you get some um, lava and deep thermal vent action happening. You know, sulfur gases coming up at deep vents and stuff. And what was unusual with the pictures you were showing me is that the whole kind of continent is bowed to shape like a banana mm -hmm. because of that um, eastward going, thrusting downward plate is actually kind of bowed the, the – uh, because there's a whole series of, of bows of the different reefs and then the, and then the uh, trench itself. So you can see how the surface of the earth is kind of wrinkled into a little bit of banana shape. Um, and it, well, yeah, it's amazing that we can see that kind of plate tectonics from uh, these days and stuff. And, and how cool to be on the, on the ground level of that. So, you know, it's just when I was a kid, they would roll out the television set and have us watch the space take off, you know. Now... The kids can sit and sit and have a, put their seatbelts on and, and, and be part of the, uh, the deep dives of these new discoveries. And, um, and what a wonderful thing for government to provide. And so this is another reason why um, we must encourage and inform the decision makers of the Committee on Appropriations to please continue funding. This is a, a national benefit. Um, the amount of money that... Uh, uh, Max, you told me earlier yesterday you were looking up that um, 
and, and correct me if I get this wrong, but um, uh, the amount of money, the billion dollars being cut out of NOAA is the same as about 17 hours? I think it was 15 hours. 15 hours yep. of the Department of Defense mm-hmm. budget. Yep. So if all the, all the military contractors could reduce their budgets by 1%, that would raise more money than taking a million dollars out of NOAA. And, um, you know, so it's appropriate to ask all agencies to tighten their belts. But in this case, um, it's really important that um, because NOAA is serving, it's, it's taking care of the oceans. And the oceans are a public place, and so there's no private interest there, and only the public, and the public benefits from it because it's publicly accessible. So it's really government's responsibility to manage uh, public spaces responsibly. And, you know, people grumble about them doing that, but we have to do that because it isn't like you got private landowners who are taking care of stuff. You, you need to have, have stuff, uh, public money. So we're the Ocean River Institute, and we're over here at Harvard Square, but we are on the web at um, www.oceanriver.org. And if you – we need, you know, visit our website, and you'll see uh, six different – actions or causes we're working on. And one of them is, you know, level, fully funding, fully operational, fully functioning NOAA. And uh, hit that picture, click on that picture, and you'll get some more, some of the information we talked about here. Uh, and you can click again to uh, our letter to the committee members of appropriations, on appropriations committee. And um, we ask you to... Uh, we ask you to sign it because people like to sign letters, but frankly, the number of signatures means nothing to the decision maker. If they get a one letter that's really good, having 160 people sign the letter, even if they're scientists, it doesn't impress the and, – and the legislators are there to serve constituents. So, again, you know, they want to hear from – they want to hear it in the language that they understand and it makes them responsible managers. So, if, if they are making a difference – uh, to individuals, then they're succeeding. And, and so that's, that's their issue. And so I guess, uh, what was it? Just, or just the other day, we put out um, uh, an e-alert. About four, over 40,000 people have subscribed to our e-alerts. And if you go to our webpage, www.oceanriver.org, you can hit subscribe and um, and put in your, your name and, and email address, and we'll send you actions that you can take, and you can read what's happening and decide whether or not you want to take it, and you can click on uh, radio shows like this one to get some more information and stuff. So uh, we sent it out, and we've got 2,000, about 2,000 people responded, and um, we were just going over some of the responses, and we had a lot of, of uh, comments, and that's the goals. That's the quality stuff. Um, so, um, Owen, what's one of the um, comments that interests you? Uh, Cheryl Gothier wrote, uh, one of the beauties of this world is our oceans and waterways. What would we do without them? The enjoyment and, and the creatures we may encounter brings joy to many and life-sustaining food for others. And where did she write from? She wrote from St. Lucie, Port, Port St. Lucie, oh, Florida. Yeah, Florida, yeah. yeah. Right on Indian River Lagoon. And, and Max, did you get a comment too? Yeah, so here's one from Crystal Rector. She's from Phoenix, Arizona. 
and Crystal wrote that, I want my granddaughter to have the opportunity to explore the beauty of the ocean as I do. And Stacy wrote from Portland, Oregon, I love the ocean and visit the Oregon coast frequently. Frequently. My friends and family think I'm a bit of a nut because I go on beach walks with a bag in hand to pick up the trash that washes up from, I'm told, cruise ships that dump their garbage. It's extremely frustrating to be one individual picking up the garbage dumped by ships, earning fortunes for companies. For the hundreds of pounds of garbage I pick up by hand each year, I can tell you we need more protection of our oceans. We need people to see the ocean as more than just a dumping ground, who appreciate, it, who appreciate its fragility and the diversity of life it holds. But most importantly, we need people who see that human life would not be worth living, even if it were possible, on a planet devoid of a healthy ocean and all that it offers. And Sea Grant programs um, all around the country are do, do annual beach cleanup uh, events. They organize and, and communities go down and stuff. And so, you know, the best way to dirty a beach is to close the Sea Grant programs. Um, you know, how short-sighted is that? Because there is no other NOAA program that's more proactive of engaging people at cleaning the beaches than Sea Grant. Um, Owen, how about another comment? Okay. Uh, Judith Costello from St. Petersburg, Florida, wrote, there is something very calming sitting by the ocean or gulf. The oceans and rivers are gifts that are essential to our survival, as well as the survival of fish and animals that live in them or near them. We can't continue to take them for granted. They must be protected and nurtured for their future. Max? Uh, Max? Yes, yeah, so here's one from Gail Outlaw, and Gail's from Santa Rosa, California. Uh, Gail wrote that to cross the Golden Gate Bridge, and see the boats on the bay, a ship gliding under the bridge coming from some distant port in the wild ocean behind us, not to mention the magical San Francisco rising up before me, still gives me a thrill, and I'm 81 years old. We must protect our oceans and bays, not only because they are beautiful, but because when they are gone or polluted behind beyond habitability, that will be the end of us and our children and grandchildren as well. Please continue to protect our oceans. And where did she write from? Uh, she's from Santa Rosa, California. Santa Rosa, California. I have a, a comment here by Sally from Malvern, Pennsylvania. I love watching the dolphins leap and feed off the coast of New Jersey, as do many beachgoers who watch them in groups. A few decades ago, they weren't there, and the water was dirty. I don't want to see our country go back to that when our waters are filthy and disgusting. Sorry, yeah. That's what she was right about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thomas Denali from uh, Tamal, Florida, wrote, When I was just a boy in the 1970s, Tampa Bay was a cesspool. And though, though nearby, its waters were full of pollution and devoid of sea life. Now, since strong environmental laws were passed by Congress and enforced by the EOA and the Justice Department, I can paddleboard and even swim through its nearly pristine waters among schools of dolphins and pods of manatees as I gaze through crystal clear waters at schools of fish swimming through rich sea grass beds, teeming with scallops, towering soft corals, and cleansing sponges that are either permanently submerged or within intertidal zones. Um, so we've got Joyce Stouffer's from Sun City, Arizona, 
and Joyce says that there is something so invigorating and restorative about time on the water. It connects us to our origins and reminds us that we are all connected in this fragile blue marble in space, and it should be treated with respect. Jonathan Mitchell from Madison, Alabama writes, I grew up fishing on the Tennessee River every year and taking family vacations on the Gulf Coast. We need NOAA. It's not an agency whose budgets whose budget we can afford to cut. Colin. J. Hume, St. Pete, Pete, Florida. Um, when I was a girl, I used, I used to find hundreds of sand dollars every summer on the sandbars near my grandmother's house. I hardly ever see any now. I found seahorses and baby octopi in the ocean. I watched manatees in the o ocean and intracoastal waterways many times. I have re released a net full of cow-nosed rays from a fisherman's net when he was too afraid to touch them. But they were beautiful, gentle, amazing creatures. All of them are. They are some of the best memories of my entire life. Life is beautiful with nature, and it would be a bleak hell without every amazing piece, all of, them, all of which are necessary to keep us whole and alive. Um, so we've got Gloria Maldonado from Redwood City, California. And Gloria said that I go to the ocean to breathe the air, to reflect and clear my mind of problems, or to reflect and solve problems. The sound of the waves, the smell of the sea, the color of the water, and the beauty of the foam as it leaves its design on the sand. So if you would like to have your voice heard by the decision makers deciding how much, whether to cut funding for NOAA or not, uh, please visit our website, www.oceanriver.org and click on um, the, uh, the NOAA page. There's a picture of a humpback whale. Uh, it's a mother, and the calf is in the foreground. So you see the, the back of the mother and the head of the, the calf, the, the upper lip of the calf. And then there's a little storm petrel right in front of the two of them. So that's the picture you click on. And we're the Ocean River Institute, and we're out of time uh, but when next time, we're going to talk more about uh, sea grant programs, and particularly in the Great Lakes, which I consider our North Shore, and that's part of NOAA's work as well. But for now, um, um, Max and Owen, thank you for telling us about this stuff. Thank you. And um, thank you, listeners, for uh, tuning in. And, uh, and uh, please take care of yourself, and then let's try to take care of this planet. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org.
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. Today... We're talking about a fully funded, fully functioning national ocean programs uh, that are brought to you by the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, or we fondly refer to as NOAA, uh, N-O-A-A. And NOAA has, the president, as the president should, is calling on all agencies to tighten their budgets and, you know, trim money, extra spending and stuff. Uh, but dramatically, he's calling for a reduction of slashing a billion dollars out of NOAA's ocean and weather programs. And this will reduce NOAA's ocean budgets by 26%. And um, so we are have, inviting people to join with the Ocean River Institute in writing to the members of the Committee on Appropriations that will decide what to put forward to Congress as a budget to approve for the department. And uh, so we are gathering comments from people who care about the oceans. Uh, the amount of budget cut of a um, billion dollars out of NOAA would be the same amount of money as the Department of Defense spends in about 15 hours is a uh, billion dollars. And so... Um, we would prefer that, you know, military contractors reduce their budget by 1%, and that would raise more money than does cutting this money from NOAA. Uh, the difference is that uh, NOAA is helping the oceans, and the oceans are common ground. They're a public resource that we all have public access to. So unlike private properties, these need government regulations, government oversight, um, and who... 
no one else is going to pay for the cleanup because it doesn't belong to anybody. So, um, and our seafood comes from the ocean. And so the National Marine Fishery Service and the fishery councils that are half fishermen and half uh, government people uh, depend on fully funding, funding from NOAA. So in order for us to enjoy clean beaches that aren't too fouled by trash and harmful algal blooms, uh, in order for us to enjoy healthy, sustainable fisheries, uh, healthy, sustainable seafood, um, we need a fully functioning and fully funded uh, NOAA. And um, so that's what we went into some of the other programs uh, and the earlier. Uh, today I'd like to focus on the Sea Grant programs because Sea Grant is a fabulous collaboration between a university, a city, and um, and this government agency that works collaboratively on education and research um, on, on ocean issues. And uh, so, oh, hello, guys. So back with me are uh, Owen Worth. Hi, Owen. Hello. And Maxwell Wagner. Hi, Max. Hello. Max, um, uh, tell us about uh, the Sea Grant program in North Carolina. Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of research into the program out there in North Carolina. Um, it's been around for 40 years, um, and from what I've found, um, it's a huge, huge part of their community there. Um, so not only does Sea Grant um, fund different research projects off the coast there um, using the UNC uh, University, um, they also do a lot of work in the community, um, whether it's helping out, um, you know, fishermen um, or working on educating uh, community members about the fish they're eating. Um, they're always out in the community holding different seminars, um, doing programs for the residents there in North Carolina. Um, so one big thing there um, has been um, educating people about aquaculture. Um, so they have different classes and seminars on that. Um, and they're also helping people uh, begin um, working on aquaculture. Um, so um, really get their start um, in the fish market, um, whether it's helping them brand themselves, um, uh, you know, begin their, their career in fishing. Um, so this training has all been provided by the Sea Grant, um, and it's really, really enabled shrimpers um, to compete with imported shrimp in the market, um, help people get their start, um, and become a part of the, the coastal community there in North Carolina. Yeah, the shrimp is a real problem because um, the uh, overseas, they are, are catching shrimp and, and growing shrimp in aquaculture. And all they need to do is just scour, take a bulldozer and cut a hole in the ground and, and put in polluted water and and throw in lots of nutrients and they can grow shrimp. And so the uh, American shrimpers are just getting nothing, almost nothing for their shrimp. And Americans are so happy to be able to have shrimp cocktail cheap, but um, it's, it's really wrecking havoc to, to the shrimpers. And so they, they all the more reason to be more efficient in, in their equipment and not to be catching um, the wrong stuff. So um, one of the, in South Carolina, the shrimpers had a real problem with... Uh, catching these cannonball jellyfish that are the size and weight of cannonballs. And so uh, the, uh, the Sea Grant people worked with the uh, South Carolinian strippers to, to build a, a cannonball excluder. So when the cannonballs came into the net, they would go out this trap door on the side of the net so that the boat could still move forward and not be so weighted down by cannonballs so they couldn't pull the net to the water anymore. And uh, later, uh, Louisiana 
Steve Grant was working with Louisiana shrimpers on putting turtle excluders on their nets, and they were having all these contraption designs. And then they went and met the South Carolinians with their cannonball, and they said, well, that'll work for our turtles. And so the shrimpers made the right kind of solution device. You know, and again, that's you know, how a little bit of money to some research and education in Sea Grant um, helps. And what, oh, and you have another example of a Sea Grant program. Yeah, I um, found out that the Ohio Sea Grant program, which is partnered with uh, Ohio State University, uh, constructed two artificial reefs in Lake Erie. Uh, they're called the Lorraine and the Lakewood Reefs. And they used more than 12,000 tons of clean rock, rubble, concrete, and old bricks to build it. And uh, they put, a, put cameras underneath the water and, uh, and saw that 60 times more fish were seen at the reef than in a non-reef area. And every year, more and more fishermen and diver, divers are uh, visiting the reefs. So the reef was a big success um, for restoring habitats for fish and economically. Um, then uh, after the Cleveland Brown Stadium was demolished in 1996, they decided to use that material and, and constructed three more artificial reefs. These are just off of uh, Cleveland, offshore in Cleveland. Um, then the success of the reefs inspired Illinois to build an artificial reef offshore of Chicago in Lake Michigan. And uh, the federal government to the Ohio Sea Grant has been, oh, the federal government money to the Ohio Sea Grant program has been well spent and um, it resulted in six economically valuable artificial reefs. How about that? You put some money into Ohio Sea Grant with uh, Ohio State University and they try out these three little reefs. Next thing you know, the whole Coliseum, the whole stadium for the Cleveland Browns is built into reefs off of, you know, off of Cleveland. And then Chicago's got this, they can't be outdone by Cleveland, so they got their reefs going in there, you know. And um, so talk about leveraging your fund. This is like, oh, my gosh, your investment. That is super. Um, again, you know, we need to fund entrepreneurship, and this is what funding C Grant does. Is it uh, helps with... Um, um, universities and uh, working with the government agency here to find solutions to these problems in the ocean. Um, on next, so that's easy. So there's a good segue to that. So here in Massachusetts, our RC grant is tied to MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So they are, you know, doing cutting edge kind of new tech stuff, and they were right. They had a front row seat in the cleanup of Boston Harbor and the, the cleaning of the harbor. So in order for the harbor to have lots of, tra it has lots of traffic, they need to dredge the harbor. And unfortunately, because of the leather industries and all the industries we had here, paint factories and lead and stuff, the, the black mayonnaise on the bottom of the harbor is wicked toxic stuff. As you can imagine, you just don't want to stir up the water and then you can swim in it, but just don't stir up the water. And Dredging uh, a channel is stirring up the water. So the Sea Grant and MIT engineers had to figure out a way that um, the, the, they could dredge, they could scoop the, they could scoop the sediment up and, and then have a top on the um, container that was scooping on the scoop. You had to have a cover for your scoop so it wouldn't mix with the seawater as it came up. They put it on a barge and then they, it was toxic waste. So 
Then they had to uh, dig a trench um, nearby and, um, and, to, and to bury that stuff. So then they had to lower it back down in. And, and at first, they, uh, oh, yeah, so they lowered it back in. And, and the first time they did it, they did it, the city did this, or the state, I don't know who's doing it. Um, they, uh, they, they put the, 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 the sludgy stuff in the bottom of the pit, the long rectangular pit. And then they dumped the, uh, they had gravel to cover it with. They dumped all the gravel in one spot, so the gravel just shot down and spurted out all the sludge because they didn't spread it evenly, you know. It was like, okay, where's your engineer, you know. So they learned with that one. So the next, the next rest of them they all did correctly because it takes some engineering. And uh, isn't it great that, um, you know, government works with universities through the Sea Grant program. And then UNH, a New Hampshire university, um, is the base for the New Hampshire Sea Grant program. And they do um, some of the best educational programming uh, in, 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 in the Northeast easily. Uh, and they, they also do a lot of aquaculture research. And, uh, and then University of Rhode Island is, is really going to town on aquaculture and, um, and sustainable fishing. And, and both UNH, you know, they um, are working ways to um, – UNH was how do you – well, I got confused because the guy started in New Hampshire and ended up at Quonset Point, Rhode Island, building a flounder um, out of the ocean uh, aquaculture program. So one of the problems with aquaculture in um, putting a pen of, of aquaculture fish in the wild is that then you chum the food in for the fish, and that pollutes the waters. Um, and you, you may be worried about lice on the fish, and so you put an anti-lice agent into the water and that it, the lice are actually crustaceans, so you're killing all the crustaceans that are on the bottom underneath them if you're treating them that way. So it's better to do aquaculture out of the water, like in a Quonset hut at Quonset Point at uh, Rhode Island, uh, because then you contain the seawater and you can put in um, antibiotics if the fish need it or whatever. So um, this, this science of how do we feed people safe seafood uh, is very complicated and um, the government goes far by multiplying their money by giving it to Sea Grant, who then collaborate with the university and private partnerships. Uh, so we're, we are actively uh, recruit, inviting people to join with us and to uh, write a personal descriptive. If it's descriptive, then they know it's personal. If you're just citing a number, that's not personal. But if you're describing something, um, then the uh, decision maker knows that you are, have a vested interest in the ocean because you're a beach walker or because you're a, a former stadium goer and like to see your reefs out there. They did that to the Baltimore Stadium as well. They put it in uh, Chesapeake and for oyster farming and stuff <laughs> before the new one was built. Uh, so, yeah, so visit our webpage www.oceanriver.org and uh, click on the picture of the, the mother humpback whale with the baby head in front of it and a little storm petrel in front of that. Um, and that will bring you to uh, a couple of clicks away and you'll see a letter to the committee members. And there's a box in there where you can write a personal comment. And we've, we've already getting lots of comments coming in. We just announced this a couple of days ago and uh, we have close to 2,000 people signing 
uh, because we have 40,000 people on our, on our emails. Uh, and if you would like our email, oceanriver.org, and on the upper right-hand corner, just hit subscribe, and you can read what we're up to, participate if you want. You can also unsubscribe. But um, uh, Max, why don't you start us out with a, a comment? Yeah, sure. Um, so here we got one um, coming from Tucson, Arizona. This is Joan Patch. Joan says, my favorite memories are my connections with the Pacific Ocean. I wish that I had more time to connect and witness all oceans, and it is still my plan. Oh, Owen? Yeah. Jane Ellison from Barefoot Bay, Florida, wrote, I've seen the coral reefs breaking down and pollution destroying so many bodies of water, and it's heartbreaking. I want Mother Earth preserved for my grandsons. Susanna Askins from Portland, Oregon, writes, When was the last time you walked out to the beach and just sat in the sand and watched the waves, listened to the surf, watched the animals, and just lay back and thought about nothing in particular? When was the last time you were in a small bay and heard the tide go in and out across the pebbles and shells and it reminded you of a bead curtain in the wind? When was the last time you sat on a rock and watched an orca mom and baby play in front of you? For the love of God, you must save our oceans and our planet. Please allow NOAA to continue its work and increase its budget. So Suzanne writes very descriptively in ways that the decision makers can relate to. It's like, oh yeah, I do like walking a beach and this is a greater responsibility than um, subsidies for businesses or something. Um, Max, are that to you? Yeah. Um, so here we have one um, from Christopher Cleary from Broomfield, Colorado. And Christopher says, that as a child off the coast of the Carolinas, I used to watch the manta rays fly out of the water, the dolphins round up schools of fish, and the whales breach the surface and splash. I want my children to be able to witness this as well. Excellent. I want to see the was it manta rays? Yeah, the manta rays. I want to see the manta rays clear out of the water like that, because they do. They break free, and you just got to be there to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Ginger Thompson um, from Blair Bus, Florida, writes, Please save our oceans. There are a lot of sea life and land dwellers, both animal and human, that depend on the sea being clean and healthy. I grew up on the water in Florida, and it's a big part of my life. I would like my son to be able to experience the world's oceans as thriving ecosystems. Abby Bokman from Benson uh, AR. So that's, no, that's Arizona or Arkansas? They are. They are Arizona. 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 I think it's AZ. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. Right. So this is Arkansas. Arkansas. I should know Benton, Arkansas. Right. Um, I have swum. I have swum with jellyfish, sharks, and many small juvenile fish. The jellyfish are most memorable. I would find ways to pick them up and put them back in the water. All right. We've got here one from Lou Warden from Big Bear City, California. And Lou says, um, in my multi-day ocean kayaking trips, I have seen so much up close and very personal. Perhaps my favorite memory is kayaking near a mother pilot whale and her pup. I was about 15 yards away when a male pilot whale tapped the bottom of my kayak and surfaced between me and the mother. 
He was just letting me know I was built a bit too close to mom. <laughs> I drifted back a few more yards and was joined by 12 more pilot whales that approached me like a front line of a football team. <laughs> they swarmed around under and around both sides of my kayak without causing the slightest disturbance. I was laughing with sheer joy throughout the entire experience. Wow, what an image, yeah. Uh, Karen Carson from Rogers, Arkansas, writes, When I lived in Chicago, I enjoyed swimming in Lake Michigan. When I lived in Atlantic City, I loved the smell and feel of the ocean, as well as sunbathing. Nina Ryanerson from Honolulu, Hawaii, wrote, I've seen the decline of fish with with the decline of the coral reef, and we need to be vigilant to save the earth. Here we got one from Mark Mark Meeks from Bailey, Colorado. I remember in Glacier Bay watching the killer whales rise at the water's edge. With ice fields nearby and a rainforest not far, I love the presence of wild waters near land. Alice Peterson writes, from Toledo, Ohio. I live in Toledo where the algal bloom ruined our drinking water. I think keeping our drinking water safe is one of the most important reasons and need to keep the funding solid for the Great Lakes. Again, NOAA programs benefit the Great Lakes. We consider that our North Shore. There's a Sea Grant program in Lake Champlain. Um, so, and and then what? You know, the seas are all interconnected to the riverways and stuff. So, uh, we want that carbon highway of the fish going up from the ocean into our rivers and forests. Uh, so, it's so important that. Uh, to be funded, that no one is fully funded. Owen? Okay, and uh, Doug Krause from Coral Springs, Florida. So the oceans are too important to let slip away. We must protect them. Our future depends on it. Well, I think we have a really quick one here from Eric Sandoval. Eric says, um, I saw a seal in California once, and it was really awesome. Eric's writing from Aspen, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, Nancy from Uniontown also saw a seal. I'll go that one. Um, it was neat to see dolphins in the wild, in the ocean, and not stuck in a tiny aquarium forced to perform. I saw a seal sitting on the rocks near a beach in California, and that was wonderful to see them free and enjoying life. Okay. And, uh, Beverly Nelms from St. Petersburg, Florida, said that NOAA is a critically important politically strategic and environmental asset to our nation. Its tools are indispensable for monitoring the health of the oceans, for weather forecasting, management of key international economic resources, and for the local economic well-being of communities throughout our land. We make use of NOAA tools every year to monitor severe weather patterns in the Gulf of Mexico area. Now we've got George Klipfel II coming from Cathedral City, California. George says that when vacationing in Hawaii, we spent nearly every day snorkeling with the incredible variety of fish and corals there. Protecting and monitoring the ocean is essential. Nicole writes from Hamden, Ohio, when have you experienced the beauty and mystery of the ocean that touches your soul? I became aware of how vulnerable this ecosystem is and wants to protect it. I've seen trash all over Myrtle Beach and spent a large part of my vacation cleaning it up. We have to do better. We owe it to ourselves and future generations. And, uh, Gene Buchanan from Tampa, Florida, 
so we must protect the ocean. Water is life for us and all sea animals. We all deserve to live harmoniously and without pollution and fear for our next generations to enjoy. Yeah, so here we have Carolyn Suchanis from Stafford, Connecticut. I want to enjoy continuing my sea kayaking. I want the animals and fish to be plentiful and healthy. Robin Kraft writes from Plain City, Ohio. I live in Ohio, and Lake Erie is such an important and beloved national treasure. We must protect our lakes and streams and oceans from pollution. We must protect the many species who call our waterways home. Okay, and then Sar- Shari yeah. from um, Water Park, Florida, that our oceans have really been neglected when, when considering exploration of this earth. We know so little and need to know much more. I believe the ocean can provide us with nutrition and important substances if we could just keep it healthy so we can explore all that it has to offer. And then last one here is from Patricia Always from Sun City, Arizona. The oceans are great for snorkeling. I love to see the school of fish and other ocean life as I float on the surface. The school of fish move freely, not noticing me and I enjoy watching them scurry about or hide in the small places hidden in the reefs. Thank you. The senators and congressional representatives that serve on the Committee of Appropriations, some live on the coast, some live on the Great Lakes and Lake Champlain, and um, some are from inland states that don't get serviced by NOAA, but they all need to hear a comment that they can relate to, And, and this is not just an issue for coastal communities. We all want to be able to, when we finally get down to the ocean, we want to find it's a pretty clean and nice place, and it's the place of our memories. And if it's not, we hold the government responsible for, and so we hold these congressmen responsible for uh, proper management and protection and preservation uh, of these things. But isn't it marvelous they're doing restoration, so they're building reefs where there were no reefs before. Um, and so it's becoming even a better resource than before, and we're moving towards sustainable fishing. So please uh, visit our website, www.oceanriver.org, and uh, click on causes. Uh, and click on the cause that has the um, humpback whale, mother and calf, and storm petrel for funding NOAA, and, and write us a comment that we can send to those legislators. Uh, and where you live is important. People are interested and in, they're tied to places. Uh, and we could also use your support. So we have a, a, a ongoing uh, fundraising campaign that is going gangbusters. All we ask is $5. And everyone, it takes many hands to save an ocean. And so if everyone can just put in a few bucks, it uh, would really help us in, um, you know, well, A, making salary for paying these interns, Max, and... and <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, you know, come on, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, no one pays for cleaning up the ocean except maybe government. And so and we need to um, urge government to be, hold them responsible. So thank you, Max. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Owen. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, please take care of yourself and... Try to take care of this planet, too. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.